0: Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves. Welcome to this day in history class. A show that reveals a little bit more about history, day by day. The day was June 17th, 1631. Mumtaz Mahal, a beloved wife of Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan, died just after she gave birth to a child. It was the 14th child she gave birth to, with seven of those children dying in infancy. But after she gave birth to her last child and died, Shah Jahan was devastated, and he soon ordered the building of the Taj Mahal as a tomb and monument to the couple's love. Mumtaz Mahal was born Arjuman Banu Begum in Agra, India, in 1593. Her mother was a princess of the Persian nobility. Her father, Asaf Khan, was a member of the nobility of the Mughal dynasty. Prince Karam, as Shah Jahan was then known, met Arjuman Banu Begum at a royal bazaar around the year 1607. At the time, Begum was 15 years old, and the prince was 14 years old. Begum's father would soon be the prime minister, and her aunt was married to Prince Karam's father. Begum was at the bazaar selling silks and glass beads. As the story goes, Prince Karam paid 10,000 rupees for what Begum claimed was a diamond, but may have been a piece of glass. The prince was immediately enamored with Begum. Prince Karam soon asked his father, Emperor Jahangir, for permission to marry Begum. Jahangir approved the marriage, but first, Prince Karam had to marry a Persian princess named Kandahari Begum for political reasons. But by Muslim law, he was allowed to have four wives. He later married a third wife, but on an auspicious day in 1612, Arjuman Banu Begum became Prince Karam's second wife when they got married. As would be expected, the wedding was lavish, with musicians, dancers, and enslaved people who carried torches. Once they got married, Emperor Jahangir gave Begum the name Mumtaz Mahal. Mumtaz Mahal means jewel or chosen one of the palace. Begum was the prince's favorite wife. Mahal became an advisor, advocated for disenfranchised people in India, and once the prince succeeded his father and became Shah Jaha, she went to war with her husband. When she was pregnant with her 14th child, she went with Shah Jahan on one of his military campaigns in the Deccan Plateau. On June 17, 1631, after giving birth to her last child, the empress died of postpartum hemorrhage and complications due to repeated childbirth. She had gone through 30 hours of delivery pain, and her lady-in-waiting and doctor had tried to keep her from dying. But Mumtaz didn't make it and Shah Jaha was grief-stricken. Mumtaz Mahal was buried at Burhanpur, where she died. Her body was later transferred to Agra. In his grief, the emperor turned away from his military campaigns and toward architecture. Historians debate whether Shah Jaha came up with the idea for the Taj Mahal or Mumtaz did on her deathbed. But in 1632, construction began on Mumtaz's mausoleum, the Taj Mahal, in Agra, on the Yamuna River. The building was opulent, with white marble, precious and semi-precious stones, calligraphy, and a garden. Mumtaz's casket was put in the center of the palace crypt, beneath the central dome and the main inner chamber. Construction was insanely expensive, costing several million rupees. The mausoleum was completed around 1638 or 1639, the other buildings by 1643, and decoration continued for years afterward. Shah Jaha spent his last years as a prisoner in his palace at Agra. He died in January of 1666. He was buried with Mumtaz Mahal in the crypt below the Taj Mahal. There are theories that the Taj Mahal was not built as a symbol of love to Mumtaz Mahal, but was a representation of a divine throne on Judgment Day or of a house of paradise. Some people have said that the emperor would have built a similar building even if Mumtaz Mahal had not died. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at podcast. But if you are not yet tired of learning about history, you can listen to a new podcast that I host called Unpopular. Unpopular is about people in history who challenged the status quo and were often persecuted for it. You can listen anywhere you listen to this day in history class. Thanks again, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to this day in history class, a podcast that flips through the book of history and tears out a single page every day. The day was June 17th, 1843. A clash between British immigrants and Maori known as the Waira Incident took place on the South Island in New Zealand. It was the first major armed conflict between Maori and British immigrants after the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. The New Zealand Company was a British joint stock company responsible for the colonization of New Zealand in the 1800s. Its founder and director, Edward Gibbon Wakefield, believed that a successful colony needed to attract a balance of capitalists and laborers. The company claimed to have purchased land in the Cook Strait region and established settlements at Wellington and Nelson. While the Europeans were purchasing land in New Zealand, representatives of the British Crown and Maori chiefs signed the Treaty of Waitangi. In May of 1840, Lieutenant Governor William Hobson declared British sovereignty over New Zealand. Since the Treaty of Waitangi was signed, there has been debate over its terms, interpretations, and differences between the Maori text and the English text. The treaty was meant to recognize Maori ownership of their lands and give Maori people the rights of British subjects. That said, many Maori were later dispossessed of their lands. Anyway, the New Zealand Company promoted the country as a Britain of the South, and it began to organize large-scale migration to New Zealand. But the fertile land required for all the Europeans migrating to New Zealand did not actually exist. The company was failing because arable land was limited, land titles were uncertain, there were too many absentee landowners, and there was no real way to generate income through exports. By 1843, the immigrants were struggling with food supply, and the company was basically bankrupt. Throughout the early 1840s, more European immigrants arrived in Nelson, despite conflict between Maori chiefs over claims to the land being sold. But when it became clear that there was not enough arable land around Nelson for the immigrants, the company began moving forward with plans to survey the Waira Plains. Maori chiefs Natitoa, Toa, Te Raupuraha, and others were adamant that the company had not purchased this land. Despite this opposition, the company ordered survey parties to begin work in the Waira Valley. So, some of the chiefs went to the Waira and evicted the surveyors. They burned some of the shelters that had been made from local materials and destroyed some of the surveyors' equipment. Police Magistrate Augustus Thompson issued a warrant for the arrest of the involved chiefs on charges of arson. A group of about 50 special constables were sent to Waira to execute the warrant. They were armed, but inexperienced. On June 17, 1843, the company party arrived on the eastern side of the Tua Marina stream. Maori gathered on the other side of the stream. It's unclear exactly what triggered the fighting, though some Maori accounts say that a chief's wife may have died first from a stray shot. Regardless, a fight ensued and 22 Europeans and somewhere between four and nine Maori died. Many European immigrants feared that this was the beginning of a larger Maori insurrection. When the new governor, Robert Fitzroy, arrived in New Zealand that December, he was tasked with dealing with the aftermath of the incident, he determined that the Maori chiefs had been provoked by the New Zealand Company, which continued the survey despite lacking evidence for legitimate claims to the land. The Colonial Office supported this conclusion. It was pragmatic, as war would have been expensive and would have worsened the condition of European immigrants. But Fitzroy was soon replaced by another governor. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us via email. We're at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.